to wrap up this morning. We have been in this series on calling, called The Forgotten God uh, like since February. We started this thing February 1st. And uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up this morning. We've been talking about over the past several months who the Holy Spirit is, what he was sent for, what he wants to accomplish in our lives. And uh, I pray that this has had an impact on you. Uh, it's, it's been fun for me to preach, and, and I've probably learned more than anybody. But uh, I was thinking about how we could wrap things up this morning. And uh, I was reminded of this powerful scene from the movie Braveheart. Anybody remember that movie? One of my favorite movies. Like, okay, a couple of us over here. So go watch Braveheart if you've never seen Braveheart. But it, it's the movie about the, the 13th century Scottish warrior William Wallace who led the Scots to freedom from uh, King Edward of England. And in this movie, there's this incredibly powerful moment when William Wallace, who's played by Mel Gibson, he's been fighting for freedom. He's finally captured. He's about to be tortured and executed. And he speaks these incredibly powerful words. He says, every man dies, but not every man really lives. It's really cool with a Scottish accent. It's like way cooler than you guys are like. Those are powerful words. And so true. Every man dies, but not every man really lives. In the face of death, he, he, he kind of has this mindset of it's okay that I'm, I'm going, I'm going to die because I've accomplished everything I was created to accomplish. And as I look back over my life and I take inventory of my life, I'm satisfied because I've done what I was meant to do. And I think about those words, every man dies, but not every man really lives. And I'm convinced that that is incredibly true for you and me as well. Every single person in this room, we, we all were, were born. Anybody here born? Anybody here awake, you know? You're like, no, we just don't like to raise our hands. That's all right. But every, every single person was issued a birth certificate. Every single one of us is going to die someday and will be issued a death certificate. But the truth is, how many of us will truly live the days in between, our birth and our death? How many of us, when we come to the end of our lives, be, because we truly live the life that we were meant to live, could say, that I, I truly accomplished what I was meant to accomplish. I, I fully lived out who I was meant to be. I don't know about you, but that's what I want more than anything else. Man, I want to live until I die. I, I want to live life. And, and I believe that given the choice, that's really what every single human being would say that they want. But more than that, I am totally 100% convinced that that's what God wants for you and for me. In fact, John 10.10 10 is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. I quote it all the time. And, and Jesus says in this verse, he says that there is a thief who comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. But he says, I have come so that they might have life and have it to the full. I love the original Greek word that we translate as to the full. It's, it's the word uh, parisos. It's a word that means over and above. It means beyond measure. 
It means, in fact, some places it's translated as exceedingly, abundantly more. I love that. Because what Jesus is saying here is, he's saying that the life that I planned for you, if you'll follow my plan, is over and above, it's exceedingly abundantly more than anything your finite mind can even think of or imagine. So, so dream your best dreams. I mean, think your best thoughts. Make your best plans. And just know that as you do, that even your best falls so far short from the dreams and the plans that I have for you. Man, that's incredible. Which is one of the reasons why God sent, and we need the Holy Spirit. He was sent to be our guide and our counselor. To, to lead us into the life that God has for us. In fact, we will never live our full potential without the Holy Spirit active in our lives. Amen, Doug. That's really good. It's true. So, so the question is, if, if a life of meaning and purpose and fulfillment is what most of us want, and if it's what Jesus promised... And what the Holy Spirit was sent for, then the question is, why are so many Christians? Man, I'm not, I'm not talking about people who don't know Jesus. I'm talking about people who have been forgiven of their sins, who attend church, who serve and tithe. Why are there so many Christians who never fully experienced the life that Jesus promised? And the Holy Spirit came to give. I'm convinced that the answer is a pretty simple one. And that is the fear of not being in control of our own destiny. I really think that's the reason why most people don't fully receive and achieve and experience the life that God really has for them because of the fear or the unwillingness that's driven by fear to fully release control of our destiny and our lives to God. And, and, and that's really what we're talking about. We've got to understand this, that when we talk about um, following Christ, and especially when we talk about being led by the Holy Spirit, what we're really talking about is the reality that God the Father, God the Son, and, the God, and God the Holy Spirit will settle for nothing less than complete lordship in our lives. That there's this language of one being the leader and the other being the follower. And, and, and the only way that can happen is when we release complete control. This is why we use that kind of language as, as, as followers of Christ, being led by the Spirit. And the problem is that so many of us that so many of us get caught up in, which is the reason why so few experience the, the fullness of life that God wants to pour out on us, is because, let's just be real, a lot of us struggle, if not all of us, struggle with the following part. Following is not easy. Following takes in intentionality. Now, the following part we struggle with, the, the, the free gift of salvation part, we love that part. I mean, that God wants to forgive us of our sins and give us the gift of eternal life. And, and that's a free gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it, that it's just given to us free. We love that part. But now it's going to cost me something? 
We don't, we don't like that part so much. But, but here's the deal. If we really want to experience life, we've got to get this. I say this all the time. That, that God wants you, he wants me, he wants us to give him more than just our sin. What he really wants more than anything else is he just wants you. All of you. That's what he really wants. Which, according to scripture, in order for God to get all of us, it requires death to self. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 2. Uh, before he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which we spent uh, the past number of weeks in, uh, Paul is, is kind of setting the stage and he's getting ready to, to talk about the difference between um, what he calls life in the Spirit and, uh, or under control, the control of the Spirit and life in the flesh where we're in control. And he begins to share a little bit about his own experience. I want you to look at what he says in Galatians chapter 2.20. Paul says this. He says, I, for, for me, this is what's happened to me, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, what Paul is saying here when he says, I've been crucified with Christ, is he's saying, I have intentionally made the decision to put to death that part of me that wants to call the shots for my own life. He's saying, I've, I've stepped down from the throne of my life. I've, I've resigned the position of CEO of my life, however you want to say it. What he's saying is, I have released control. Not, not, it's no longer me who controls my life and calls the shots, but I've released control to the Holy Spirit, which is what he's talking about when he talks about Christ living in me. Listen, this is the only way that we can experience the exceedingly abundantly more that Jesus talks about in John 10.10. Life in the Spirit. But here's the deal, and we're just going to be real. And so you need to understand this ahead of time. And again, this is where we struggle because oftentimes, uh, on the surface at least, life in the spirit can seem pointless and confusing. It doesn't always make sense. And the reason why uh, is because our tendency is we, we try and make the will of God fit into the logical, linear limits of our own human thinking. When, when the reality is most of the time, the will of God is neither logical nor linear. Now, if you winced a little bit when I said the will of God is not uh, logical, let me explain what I mean by that. I want you to think about Think, think, about, think about Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. When the angel appears to Mary and he, he shows up to this young teenage girl and, and he says to her, he says, Hey Mary, um, even though you're not married, you've never been with a man, you're a virgin, guess what? You're going to have a baby. How logical is that? that? That's why Mary's first response was, 
How can this be? It doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. Or think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God speaks to them through the Holy Spirit. And he says, hey, boys, uh, whatever you do, I want you to know this is, this is my will for your life, is whatever you do, when everybody else bows to worship the king, you three, do not bow. Knowing that there's a fiery furnace that awaits them. I mean, how, how many of us, if, if, he's, if God said, this is my will, that you're not going to bow, you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace, how, how many of us would be like, come on, God, how logical is this? I, I mean, how, how, about, how about if I don't bow all the way down? If I just kind of go down so I'm not noted? Or how about I bow on the outside, but I don't bow on the inside? Because how could being burned to death solve anything? It's just not logical. Or think about Noah, man. Noah's living out in the middle of the desert, and the Holy Spirit tells him, he says, Noah, I want you to not only invest all that you have, but I want you to take the next 120 years of your life and build a massive ship in, in your backyard, living in the desert. It's not logical. And the list goes on and on. I mean, when the Holy Spirit leads, it does not make perfect sense. It didn't make sense to David in the beginning to face a Goliath with a slingshot. It didn't make sense for Esther to stand up against Haman. It made absolutely no log logical sense at all for Peter to think he could step out of a boat and stroll across the waves. It's simply not logical. But what incredible lives! All of these heroes of the faith got to live simply because they were willing to set aside their own logical thinking. This is what makes sense to me. This is what I think I ought to do with my life. This is what I think is best for me. And instead, they submitted control, they took a risk, and they accepted the invitation to experience life that is exceedingly, abundantly more. Man, think of Mary. She traded the boring life of a peasant girl to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Noah traded running a vineyard for a year-long cruise. Followed by, he was given the task of repopulating the world. I'm just saying, there are worse jobs to have. David traded the life of a shepherd for life as a king. Peter traded the hard life of trying to provide for his family as a fisherman to become the head of the church. And the list goes on and on and on. As we read through scripture, people who took the risk laid down their lives and their plans in order to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, when you surrender your life to Jesus, he will lead you down paths you never knew existed and it'll take you to places you never even imagined you could go on your own. I, I was thinking about this and couldn't help but think of my friend Carnell Washington. I first met Carnell, it's been over 25 years ago. And uh, he, when I first met him, he was actually part of a gang in Kansas City. Carnell had grown up in Wichita, and from the time that he was a kid, he was, just, he was just immersed in gang life. And the reason that he wound up in Kansas City was because one day he and his best friend, Myron, were going through this car wash, 
when a rival gang member uh, ran up on the car and point blank fired several rounds into the car. And miraculously, Carnell, was, uh, he was only wounded. He suffered a single wound. And his friend, uh, the, the guy ran up on his friend's side, and his friend took the majority of the bullets in his side. And unfortunately, he was, he was killed immediately. But as a result of witnessing this murder, this rival gang put a hit out on Carnell's life. And if that weren't bad enough, on top of that, one of, the, uh, one of Carnell's own gang members knew that there had been some drug money hidden in Myron's house. And so he went and stole it. And then he told everybody else in the gang that Carnell had actually murdered his friend in order to steal the money. And the whole uh, rival gang thing was nothing more than a lie. And so Carnell's got both his, his own gang that turned against him. He's got this rival gang out to get him. And so he flees to Kansas City where I not only met him, but more importantly, Carnell met Jesus. There's uh, way more to this story than I have time to share this morning, but God wound up calling Carnell into ministry. And he and I spent a number of years traveling together, speaking in churches and prisons and juvenile correctional facilities all over. Uh, in, in fact, right now, today, Carnell is in Swaziland, Africa, preaching a series of crusades. He's been there for a little over a month, preaching to tens of thousands of people. And this former gang member was actually invited by the king of Swaziland to meet with him in his palace, where he had the opportunity to share the gospel with the king of Swaziland and pray over him. Man, only God can do that. I mean, I'm telling you, if 25 years ago, any of us would have told Carnell, hey, um, which, which by the way, when I first met Carnell, he couldn't even read, which is a miracle story in itself that I'll have to tell another time. But, but if any of us would have told him, hey, Carnell, one day you're going to be preaching to thousands, you're going to hang out with kings, I'm telling you, he'd have looked you in the eye and told you, you are absolutely crazy because it makes absolutely no logical sense. Because at the time, it just would have blown his mind. But God. Because God is the God of exceedingly abundantly more than anything that we could even think of or imagine. This is so important. When we choose to follow the Spirit, most of the time, we will have absolutely no idea where we're going or what we're doing. Woo, isn't that comforting? <laughs> we won't. In the moment, it won't make sense. Which is exactly what Jesus promised us in John chapter 3 verse 8 when he says that the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And then he says, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, now some in our culture, logically speaking, would say, well then, taking that path, it's just... It's filled with uncertainty. That just sounds like uncertainty to me. I think you could call it by another name. I think you could call it adventure. 
Some people's uncertainty is another person's adventure. I'm telling you, when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life to direct your life, you will absolutely be blown away by who you're going to meet, where you're going to go, and what you're going to do. I mean, who would have thought that God would bring together this, this white kid from rural Nebraska and a black kid from the streets of Wichita? Only God, man. God dreams that kind of stuff up. I'm telling you, when you surrender complete control of your life to the Spirit, it can only be described as an adventure. In fact, I love what Mark Batterson, who wrote the book The Circle Maker, says. He says, if you would describe your life as anything less than adventure, then maybe you think you're following the Spirit, but actually you've settled for something less. Something called inverted Christianity. I think a lot of people who call themselves Christians are living a life of inverted Christianity. Inverted Christianity is is where instead of us following the Spirit, instead we try and make the Spirit follow us. Instead of us serving God's purposes, we, we really want Him to serve ours. Instead of us listening to his voice and leaning into his wisdom and obeying his commands, instead we we settle to operate in our own wisdom. We make our own plans and we just want him to bless that. Batterson says that the result of inverted Christianity is not just a self-absorbed spirituality that leaves us feeling empty, but he says it's also the difference between spiritual adventure and spiritual boredom. Listen, you and I were created for, we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, not simply to live meaningless, boring, safe lives that are, that are centered on nothing more than paying a mortgage, saving up for retirement, and then dying. You and I were created, and we have been given this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit for exceedingly, abundantly more than that. Amen. A couple of months ago, Laura and I had the opportunity to travel to Alaska, which um, I've decided is about as close to heaven as you can get. Of course, um, I've been there twice, and, and I've only been there in the summer months. I've never been there in January. So I might have a different opinion of Alaska if I were there in, in January. But uh, both of the times that I was in Alaska, I got to see bears. I love nature. I love being out in nature. And one of the things I really wanted to do in Alaska was see bears. The first time I went... Um, I was hiking down this trail, um, and, and we were headed down to this river where the salmon were supposed to be running, and so I wanted to go down there. There was supposed to be this beautiful waterfall, and about a mile in, we came around this corner. It was Laura's dad and I, and we came around this corner, and there to the left, um, about probably from me back to the sound booth, so it wasn't very far, uh, there was this giant black bear foraging along. There were some trees there. He was foraging along the tree line. And, and the, the lodge that we had been staying at had warned us that they were bears. And they said, you know, if you do happen to encounter a bear, whatever you do, don't run. Unless you're with somebody else and you know you're faster than them. Then go ahead and run. And they're on their own. But no, they, they didn't say that part. I made that up. But um, do you like that, Dane? That was a good one. Thank you. 
They, they said, don't run. They said, stand there and look as big as you possibly can and then make some noise. You know, say, hey, bear, hey, bear, hey, bear, something like that. And so I, I saw this bear, and my heart starts beating out of my chest. And, and, and so, um, you know, I stand there. Fortunately, I'm already big, so I, I can just do that one naturally. And so I, I stand there. I look as big as I can, and I'm like, hey, bear. <laughs> and, and this bear uh, look, lifts his head up uh, from whatever it was he was eating. It may have been a, a tourist that got there before me or something like that, but... He, this bear lifts his head up, and he gives me this look like, you're an idiot. It's the same look that Pastor Brad gives me every time we go golfing together, you know, and I, I try and play golf. But, but anyway, this bear gives me this look, and then, and then he just goes back to eating whatever it was that he was eating. And, and so I watched him for a little while, um, and he winds up just kind of meandering off down through the woods and disappears. But it was this incredible, exciting encounter. It was like one of the first things I wanted to tell Laura when we got back is I was out in the woods, and I saw this bear, and I stood up, and I said, hey, bear. And the bear <laughs> ran off, and it was awesome. And so we went this last time, and I wanted to see bears again. I wanted Laura to have an opportunity to see bears. And so this time, uh, we got to see them not on the trail. We did take a couple of hikes, and they did tell us, you know, there's a really good chance on the hikes you'll, you'll see bears. And in fact, we were in uh, Huna, Alaska, and uh, they, they said when we got there, they, they didn't tell us till we got after the boat or off the boat and, and on to Huna. They said, hey, by the way, there are more grizzly bears um, here in this place uh, per square mile than anywhere else in the world. And so the chances are you'll see. In fact, we were going to hike down this trail. We took this tram way up to the top of this mountain. We're going to hike down this trail. And this is the sign that was right at the face of the trail. Do we have it right there? Yeah. So basically, I don't know if you can read it, but it just says Alaska's dangerous. Everything can kill you. If you get eaten by a bear or you fall off a cliff, it's on you, man. We're just not going to take responsibility for it. And so I was excited because I thought, okay, the odds are pretty good that we can uh, see a bear. I was a little concerned because Laura runs faster than I do. But I, <laughs> there, we went in a group, and there were a couple of guys who I was pretty sure they were slower than me. So I felt fairly comfortable. But uh, we went with this, this guide kind of took us down and made us go in a group. And uh, the guide was carrying this huge, I don't even know what caliber of rifle it was. and had bear spray and the whole deal. And we went through, and we didn't see a bear. We saw plenty of bear sign. Uh, but we didn't, we didn't see any bears. We rode the tram down, and the lady who rode with us said, yeah, we saw, we saw a bear. And um, in fact, I think he's still munching on somebody up there. I don't know. But anyway, we didn't get to see one. And so we, uh, we stopped in Sitka, Alaska. And, um, you know, I just, I really remembered the adventure of the first time. And so I, I wanted to see these bears. And so we found out in Sitka there was this bear sanctuary that you could go to. And so we decided to go, and I'm glad we went, but seeing bears in captivity isn't the same as seeing them out in the wild. In fact, few things compare to the thrill of seeing a wild animal in its natural habitat doing what it was created to do, untamed, uncaged. And so we went, we saw these bears, and these bears had been raised in this sanctuary from the time that they were cubs, and, um, you know, they had, they had been domesticated in many ways, and, you know, they had been taught to do things like wave, 
you know, like that, you know, and clap, yeah, right there, you know. And they would wave and they would clap and whoever worked there would throw them an apple, you know. That's what they would do. They were trained to, to, to get an, 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 an apple. And, and, um, and I, I thought, you know, these, these guys don't know what they're missing, Instead of living out in the wild and like hunting for caribou and, and moose and, and, and um, an occasional tourist, they, they just don't know what they're missing in this place. And as Laura and I looked at those bears, we were both kind of sad because we, we understood what they were missing out on. They, they weren't living as they were created to live. They were confined to nothing more than this small sanctuary. They were safe from the outside world, but they were never going to experience the adventure that they were meant to experience. And I thought about that. I couldn't help but wonder if that's what happens sometimes in the church. I wondered if sometimes if the church unintentionally I wonder if we do to people what sanctuaries like that do to animals. I mean, as a church, are we guilty of taking people out of their natural habitat and trying to domesticate them in the name of Jesus? Don't get me wrong. I think our intentions are good. I mean, we want to remove the danger. We want to clean up the rough spots. And we want to protect people from the struggle and the risk. And so we create this sanctuary. That's what it's called, right? We create this sanctuary where we teach people how to sing and how to clap and how to raise their hands, which is all good stuff. We, we teach a certain language and set of behaviors. We, we, we domesticate them. But in the process, we somehow adopt the thinking that this is what being Christian is all about. Just living a safe little comfortable life in our protected little sanctuary. I, I just want to remind us this morning that Jesus Christ did not die a brutal death on the cross. He did not send his Holy Spirit to infill us and live in us and empower us simply to make us safe. That's not why he died. That's not why he sent the Holy Spirit. The reality is he did all of that to make us dangerous. We sang about that this morning. He, 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 he died to make us dangerous. You see, the reason that Jesus bled and died on the cross, the reason he sent his Holy Spirit to fill us and lead us and empower us is not that we could create some little cocoon of safety and call that the church. He created the church to storm the gates of hell. That's what he created it for. In fact, some of the last words that Jesus spoke were Matthew chapter 16, 18, where he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen, folks, gates don't attack us. We attack gates. That's what we were designed to do. And we pray. I mean, we pray and we need to pray. But most of our prayers revolve around, you know, we pray for things like safety, we pray for protection, which is fine. 
But come on, when was the last time any of us prayed, God, would you make me dangerous? I think we ought to pray more prayers like that. When was the last time we prayed and we asked God to give us the wisdom and the power and the authority to march directly into the enemy's camp and take back the ground that he has stolen from us? I wonder what would happen if every Sunday... In a setting like this, you know, after we, we sang all the songs and, and we listened to the sermon and we prayed the closing prayer, I wonder what would happen if the result was that we actually were sent out as dangerous people back into our own natural environment to wreak havoc on, havoc on the enemy. I wonder what would happen if we had that mindset that, man, I'm coming to worship, I'm coming to be equipped, I'm coming to praise, I'm coming to celebrate, but, man, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, and when God sends me out, man, I'm going to go out in the world, and I'm going to wreak havoc on the enemy. I wonder what would happen if we just, if we just lived like that. I believe with all of my heart that that's what each of us were created for to play an active role in expanding the kingdom of heaven. You see, I, I don't believe it's an accident that any of you were born when you were born, that you live where you live in this time, that you've been placed where you are. I believe that God created you. He saved you to be a part of this incredible, great adventure of redeeming a lost and broken world. I don't think it's an accident. I think God has a plan. I, I don't know what, what point in history things changed and, and it became safe to follow Jesus. I'll tell you this, what I do know is that in America, where it's, it's pretty safe to be a Christian. I mean, we can gather. We don't, we're, nobody's afraid to gather in a place like this. It's just safe to be a Christian. I know in America, where it's safe, the church is on life support. And in areas of the world where proclaiming of the, the name of Jesus can get you imprisoned, or worse yet, get you dead, the church is exploding. It's thriving like gangbusters. I don't know, maybe it's time that we made the decision that we're going to poke our heads out of our cages and we're going to take a stab at living dangerously for the cause of Christ. Soren Kierkegaard once said that, that boredom is the root of all evil. I'll take that a, a step further. I don't think that you can live a life of faith at all and be bored at the same time. Because faith and boredom are like at opposite ends of the, expect, of the spectrum. On the side of faith is adventure, man. Who knows where the wind's going to blow? Who knows what the Holy Spirit's going to say? Who knows where he's going to take me today? Who knows what he's going to do in my life? And so boredom and, and faith are at the opposite ends of the spectrum. In fact, in Matthew 19, there's this story about this young man who was bored, really, is what's going on. It's the story of the rich young ruler and this guy comes to Jesus, he's totally bored with religion. Man, if that doesn't describe the culture that we live in, I don't know what does. So many people have become so bored with religion as it is. And this guy, he was bored. He's like, Jesus, I don't know what to do. I keep all the commandments, I follow all the rules, I check all the boxes. I mean, I attend church every Sunday, I lift my hands during the songs, I take notes during the sermons. 
I drop five bucks every Sunday in the offering uh, bucket when I leave. But, but still, something is lacking in my life. I believe that what was lacking in this man's life was any sense of spiritual adventure. I mean, religion for this guy had become nothing more than simply following the rules. Listen, following the commandments is a good thing. It's right and good. But here's the deal. If that is the only thing that your spiritual life revolves around, you will never be spiritually satisfied, and it will simply leave you feeling caged. There's so much more than that. In fact, if the truth were to be told, I'm, I'm convinced that most people who identify themselves as Christians, most people I talk to, are completely bored with their faith. And that includes a good number of people sitting in this room this morning. I, I believe the rich young ruler is representative of an entire generation that are sick and tired of the cage. Man, I don't know if you got to see over the past couple of weeks our kids in Tampa worshiping. I think that room was full of young people who were saying, like, I don't want to live in a cage. I want to live a life of adventure. I want my life to count for something more than what I've seen. And I believe that this young man represents this generation of people who are, are frustrated because they know that life is supposed to be about something more. And even though they may not be able to articulate it in this word, in these words, what they long for is they long to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Equipped and enabled and released to live a life of exceedingly, abundantly more for the cause of Christ. Too many of us have settled for, for spiritual mediocrity instead of stepping into spiritual maturity. And I believe it's time to come out of the cage. H how do you do that? Listen, it's, it's a simple concept, but I'm not going to lie, it's difficult to practice. Simple in concept, difficult in practice. It takes courage and intentionality because stepping out of the cage involves something that for none of us inherently comes natural. Are, are you ready for it? Here it is. The only way to step out is by letting go. You, you, can't, you can't step out when you're holding on to something. You know, the only way to step out is by letting go, which is something that, that none of us are naturally good at. When it com what comes natural for us is grabbing hold of stuff, grabbing a hold and collecting, holding on to, holding on to traditions, holding on to, to things, holding on to relationships, holding on to cultural standards, holding on to our life, our very life. Hear me on this. If you really want to experience what I'm talking about today, it begins with letting go of me. I gotta let go of me. Uh, Paul would say, say, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer me who lives, but Christ in me. And the reason he could say that is because he had learned the secret of letting go of me and surrendering all that he was to Jesus. And so it begins there, but that's not all. It also entails an honest assessment and then letting go of 
anything we find our security and identity in other than Jesus. Anything that we find our security in. Anything that we find our identity in outside of Jesus, we have to let go of that. For this rich young ruler, his cage was financial security. It was money. I mean, every time somebody came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you, Jesus didn't say, go sell everything you have and come follow me. He identified what this young man's cage was. This is where his security was. And so Jesus said to him, he said, hey, here's what's keeping you from experiencing the exceedingly abundantly more that I have for you. Just go sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor, and then you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. I think sometimes we hear those words that Jesus spoke and we read that and part of us might, you know, we just kind of feel bad for the rich young ruler. I mean, that's kind of a big ask. I mean, how could Jesus demand so much of this man? When we think that way, I think, I think the problem is that we're focusing only on what this man was asked to let go of and we're completely missing the offer that Jesus laid on the table. I don't care how much this rich young ruler was asked to give up. What Jesus was offering to him was exceedingly abundantly more. He, he was offering the opportunity of a lifetime. Can you imagine? Come hang out with me. Get rid of everything and come spend every day, every hour of the day with the living son of God. And the sad part of this story is that this rich young ruler, he turns Jesus down and instead, he winds up settling for a life that by his own admission was lacking. Rather than an adventure of chasing after Jesus. Now, now compare the rich young ruler to the 12 undomesticated, unsophisticated, wild disciples who accepted Jesus' invitation. I mean, can you imagine what these guys got to experience. I mean, these guys, were, were, they weren't just there. They tasted the water that Jesus turned into wine. They tasted it. I mean, they, they were there when Jesus walked on water. They were the ones who went out after Jesus fed the 5,000 with the little boy's lunchbox, and they collected the, the baskets full of leftover uh, food. They, they, they had a front row seat. When Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come forth. And this dead guy who had been dead for four days walks out of the tomb. They were there and got to experience it. And they were personally empowered and commissioned to go out and do the things that Jesus had done. Jesus said, I want you to go out and you're going to heal the sick. You're going to raise the dead. You're going to cast out demons. Man, you talk about the adventure of a lifetime that money cannot buy. In a day where the average person would not have ventured more than 30 miles from their home, these guys were sent out to the four corners of the world. It just blows my mind that these ordinary fishermen whose lives outside of accepting this invitation from Jesus would have been centered around, you know, going out every day and catching fish. I love to catch fish, but, man, I wouldn't want to do it every day. And I certainly wouldn't want to depend on my ability to catch fish to make a living. 
Their whole lives would have been centered around this on the Sea of Galilee. But these guys got to instead experience all of these incredible, exceedingly abundantly more. I I, want to close with this. This past week, as I was doing my own personal devotional, I'd been reading through the Old Testament, and I was rereading one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's the story of Abraham. And and I've read this story hundreds of times, but this last week, as I reread it, something jumped out at me that I'd I'd never noticed before. Of course, uh, if you know that story, you know that that God comes to Abraham. He promises to bless Abraham and to make him a great nation. And it's, it's, it's the same exceedingly abundantly more that God always does. And so God promises to do this for Abraham. But in order to receive the blessing, he tells Abraham, you've got to let go and you've got to leave. You, you got to step out of your cage. You got to leave your sanctuary. You got to leave your place of safety and go to the land that I'll show you. Of course, we know because we can read the story in just a few minutes. We know what Abraham does not know at the time. And what he won't know for a number of years that the land that God is going to lead him to is the land of Canaan, it's the promised land. Here's what I'd never noticed until this past week. Before God establishes this covenant with Abraham to bless him and give him the land of Canaan, this all takes place in the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. If you jump back one chapter to Genesis chapter 11, I want you to look at what verse 31 says. It says, now Terah, which is Abraham's father, Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of his son, Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to, where? Canaan. It's a promised land. It's a land that God promised to bless Abraham's family with. Abraham's father sets out on a journey to take the family to the promised land. This land of exceedingly abundantly more. I want you to watch this. It says, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. That they settled. Don't don't miss this. Abraham's father is on his way to the exceedingly abundantly more that God has for his family. But he comes to this place that looks good in his own mind. It's this place of abundance and safety. It's this place of comfort. And so he makes the decision in that moment, I think I will just settle for this. I'll settle here. And as a result, Terah, Abraham's father, never got to experience the adventure, the blessing, the more that Abraham did. I I say all that to say this. Well, the sad part of this story is it goes on and it says that Terah lived 205 years and he dies in Haran. Never got to experience it. I, I say all that to say this. The offer that God has made to us is the same offer. What he's offered to you, what he's offered to me, it's the same offer that he made to the rich young ruler. It's the same offer that he made to the twelve. It's the same offer that he made to Abraham. 
And just like them, you have a choice to make. You can accept the invitation. You, you can, like Paul, say, I have decided to be crucified with Christ, to be filled with and empowered by his spirit, to grab hold of this life that is really life. You can choose that or you can settle. You, you can stay in your safe little cage. You, you can hold on to what you've been convinced is everything only someday to find out in the end that it amounts to nothing. You get to choose. I, I think like the rich young ruler, there's the inclination to think only about the cost. Of if, I, if I truly surrender my life to Jesus, I think about the cost. I, I think about the cost if we don't fully commit our lives to Jesus. There's a cost there too. I think about those who may not be delivered from addiction. I think about those who may never experience healing. I think of those who may never be set free if we choose to settle. Because God wants to use us in order to set captives free. I, I, I think about where the kingdom of God may not advance if you and I aren't willing to be out on the front lines. Make no mistake about it. The stakes are high. But the reward is great. And so this morning... I, I want to close by giving those who would like a chance to just make that decision. And actually, what I want to do this morning is I want to give three invitations. Three for the price of one. The, the first invitation is this. If you've never taken that first step of faith, if you've never invited Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, and if you'd like to do that today, in just a moment, I want to lead you in a prayer of salvation. You, you'll be able to do that this morning. Invitation number two is if you're here this morning and you've already taken that step, you've invited Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins, but you've still not taken the second step yet and given all of you to him. You've given him your sin, but you haven't given all of you to him yet. You haven't done like Paul talks about, been crucified with Christ. You haven't stepped down from the throne of your life. You haven't identified and let go of anything that you find your security and identity in and surrendered all of that to Jesus. Then I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And then the third invitation is this. Lastly, if you're here this morning and you've already done those things, but, but you, just, you just want to reconfirm that decision Maybe, maybe, you know, you think about it in your life, and the truth is, early on, there was so much excitement. It was such an adventure, and you were just living this life, man. It was full of adventure, following Jesus and being part of his mission. But the truth is, as time has passed, you found yourself kind of slipping back into the safety of the cage. And this morning, if you're here and you want to just say, you know what, I want to reconfirm that decision that I made years ago. I want to reconfirm the fact, man, I am 100% I am in. Jesus, you have all of me. I'm not going to hold anything back. If any one of those are you this morning, and your heart is saying, man, I, I just want to step out of this cage, and I want to wholeheartedly chase after God, then I'm going to ask you to do something really bold and courageous 
And that is just to stand up to your feet right now. If you, if you, if you want to do that, I'm going to pray a prayer over you before you leave. If you're, serious, if you're not serious, don't stand. But if you're serious and want to receive any one of those three invitations, just stand up. And I believe this morning that for those of you who are serious about this, I believe with all of my heart, this is why I've been so excited about this morning, is I've just sensed the Holy Spirit saying in my, in my own heart and in my own mind that he wants to release something today that's not been released amongst us yet. And he wants to do something that's not only going to revolutionize some people's individual lives, but he wants to do something that's going to revolutionize the life of this church. And so I just want to pray for you this morning. And for those of you who, who this morning you're standing because you're saying, I want to accept Jesus' invitation to forgive me of my sins. I want everybody in this room to close your eyes and bow your heads. And in the quietness of your own heart, you can just pray something like this. Jesus, today I acknowledge, I recognize that I am a sinner. That I have not lived my life in submission to you. I've been my own shot caller and, and I've done things that I know are, are things that have hurt you and hurt myself and hurt other people. And today I confess those to you and I ask you to forgive me. I, I claim your promise today that you said if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And so I do that today. I invite you into my life. And for those that today you're saying, you know, I, I've done that, but I've, I've, I've withheld control. I've given him my sin, but I've been the shot caller. I've been the CEO. I've sat on the throne. I've relied on my own wisdom. This morning, the, there are those here that the cry of your heart is just, I want to release all of that. And today, I, I step down from the throne of my life. I resign my position as CEO of my life. And I put you in your rightful place. I make the decision today, through the help of the Holy Spirit, to be crucified with Christ, to put to death my, my own logic, my own self, my own right to rule my life. I put all of that to death, and I surrender complete control of me to you. I belong to you 100%. And, and not only do I belong to you, I give everything that I possess to you. I surrender my job my finances, my kids, my family, my hopes, my dreams, my plans, my fears, my unforgiveness. Everything that I am, I give it to you. Nothing belongs to me anymore. It all belongs to you. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that as you fill me fresh and anew, that you would lead me and you would guide me. You would help me to hear your voice and you'd give me the courage to be obedient to you. Man, I sign me up for the great adventure, the life that is exceedingly abundantly more. And for those 
who are standing today that want to recommit, recommit that and, and reconfirm those decisions, Lord. There are some here today that if the truth were to be told, this life of religion, we've kind of stepped into a cage. It's become kind of boring. We've, we've, we've been domesticated in many ways. Launch us out into the wild. Make us dangerous for you. If we belong to you, then you can send us anywhere you want to send us. Well, I pray, Father, for a, a, a new anointing to follow. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would release your presence and your power in a deeper measure than we've ever experienced before in our lives. I, I pray that if there's anything in us that is preventing us from being the people that you want us to be, from living the life that you destined us to live, if there's anything where we, we put our, our value, our hope, our future, if we staked it on anything other than Christ, today we repent of that. We, we turn a different direction. If there's, if there's unconfessed sin in our lives, reveal it to us, Lord. We want to lay it all down. We want to be transparent. We want to be open to you. If there's disobedience in our lives where you, you told us to do something and we didn't obey you, Lord, I pray you'd bring us back to that place and, and, and let us confess it, repent of it, and Father, help us to step into obedience so that we can be released to do whatever it is that you want us to do. My prayer today, Holy Spirit, is that you would be released among us in exceedingly abundantly more measure and use us Lord make us dangerous for you send us up against the gates of hell give us the courage to go to the places you want to send us help us to declare freedom for captives healing for the sick release of oppression for those who are oppressed by demons I just pray that you would use us in a measure that you've never used us before. Oh God, we pray all these things to the one who has promised to give us life and life abundant. Exceedingly, abundantly more. It's in your name we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Yay, God. Man, I believe that God is going to do some things in your lives. For those of you who are serious about those prayers, he's going to do something, and he's going to use you. So be watching for it. Go, up, go this week, live dangerously, and bring somebody back with you next week. We'll see you next time.